The text this morning is Psalm chapter 16. Uh, so if you have your Bibles, you can turn there now, and I will read the passage in its entirety for us as we begin. Psalm chapter 16. Keep me safe, my God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. I say of the holy people who are in the land, they are the noble ones in whom is all my delight. Those who run after other gods will suffer more and more. I will not pour out libations of blood to such gods or take up their names on my lips. Lord, you alone are my portion and my cup. You make my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night, my heart instructs me. I keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your faithful ones see decay. You make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. This is God's word. Let's pray. Almighty God, we come before you this day uh, to worship you. We, we thank you that every Lord's Day you call us to yourself. You call us to worship you, to, to hear your word, that we might be nourished, that we might respond, that we might be convicted, that we might be challenged and encouraged, that we might be given what we need to obey you each and every day. Father, we pray that you would use your word this day and apply it to your people in whatever way they need it most, in whatever way we need it most. Father, I pray that you would be with us this day. We thank you that you promised to be here by your spirit. We pray that you would lead us this morning. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, um, Psalms... Various psalms have various categories. People uh, try to, ca- to categorize psalms in certain ways to, to kind of give the theme of, of different psalms. And, and Psalm chapter 16 has been categorized by many as a psalm of, of confidence. And uh, when I was preparing for this sermon, uh, I spent a few minutes looking around to try to find some, uh, some like inspirational quotes or some quotes that would deal with, with the idea of confidence um, that might, you know, I might add in here. Um, but after a simple Google search, nearly all of the quotes that came up had to do with the, the concept of, of self-confidence. That is, they can essentially be summed up like this. You already have it in you to do whatever you want to do, so just do it. Well, this is, in essence, uh, the message of Frozen 2. And despite my wife's encouragement, I'm not going to sing Show Yourself uh, for you. But at the end of Elsa's journey to discover the voice that's been calling to her the whole movie, she finds out actually all along, it's just been her. It's just been her. It's calling to herself. She, Elsa, is the one that she's been waiting for all of her life. The movie wraps up with her own self-discovery and the newfound confidence that that comes from that self-discovery. Well, that kind of thinking might be helpful for for a short time, 
It might, it might help you out in, in, the short peer, in the short term, but it, but it never lasts very long. Uh, eventually, we come to realize that, that we need a confidence. We need a hope that comes from outside of ourselves. Uh, we need a confidence that is not threatened when we fall short or when our fears and our own anxieties return. We need a confidence that is, that is rooted in a foundation that is stronger than our own human efforts and frailties. And, and the confidence that we'll see in this psalm, in Psalm chapter 16, is, is much better and is much deeper than anything we could ever find within ourselves. It is much better than any self-help book, any blog, any article, or any podcast. The confidence that we will see this morning is found in the God of the universe who holds all things together. So in our time this, this morning together, we will see how David expresses his confidence in two ways. His confidence in the Lord in two ways. First, we will see how David expressed his confidence in the Lord in life. And second, we will see how David expresses his confidence in the Lord in death. My, my hope for us this morning is that when our time is finished, we would know a deeper confidence in the Lord, both in our everyday lives, a deeper confidence in the Lord and his promises to us, both in our, in, in our everyday lives and the tasks that we live out each day, and that we will and that we will know a deeper confidence in the Lord in the face of death when it comes and approaches us. In addition, it's my hope that not only will we have that confidence, but we will express that confidence to the Lord in our, in our prayers as we humble ourselves before Him, as we depend on Him in prayer. Well, Psalm chapter 16 begins with a cry for help from David. Keep me safe, my God, he says. Now, we don't get many contextual details in this psalm to help us identify the exact events of David's life in which he penned this psalm. However, we can see that David is in some sort of distress. Um, he is in need of help, and so he cries out to the Lord. He, he makes his plea, and then he declares that he has already taken refuge in the Lord. Already in verse 1, we can see why this psalm is a psalm of confidence. In response to a threatening situation, David has taken refuge in the Lord. He has run to the Lord for his help. And it is here, from this place of refuge, from this place of safety that is the Lord, that David calls for help. David's cry to the Lord reveals that he has a great expectation that the Lord can preserve, can preserve him, that the Lord can uh, protect him and save him. And this is the reason that he has chosen the Lord as his refuge. Now, you all don't get many tornadoes out here, um, but I think you'll be able to track with this illustration, at least hypothetically. I actually looked up last night and I think I saw a stat from 1950 to 2005, there was only like 121 tornadoes out here. That, that's nothing compared to the Midwest, uh, where tornadoes get big and destroy towns. Um, but in the face of a tornado, when, when a tornado would be approaching, it would be very foolish to seek for refuge in a greenhouse. With the threat of high winds and flying objects, a glass building is no refuge. No refuge at all. In fact, no, 
When a tornado is approaching, you are told to move away from windows. Find shelter. Get away from anything that might fly and, and hit you. But even this illustration falls short because there is no real certainty even in those places of shelter. Even if you're seeking shelter from a tornado in the best possible place, there's no guarantee that you'll be safe. But it is a different story with the Lord. As Proverbs 18.10 says, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous man runs into it and is safe. Where better to turn for refuge than the omnipresent God whose protective presence is found in all creation. So it is from the security of this place of refuge, the fortress that is the Lord, that David expresses the confidence he has both in this life and in death. So in verses 2 through 8, we will see the confidence David has in life, and in verses 9 through 11, we will see the confidence he has in death. In verse 2, David declares that the Lord is his master. He has submitted to his authority and has claimed him as his own. Not only that, but David makes the striking claim that apart from the Lord, he has no good thing. While apart from the Lord, he has no good thing, he certainly has much good in the Lord. It is the good that David possesses in the Lord that he reflects on in the, in the following verses, which serve to increase his confidence in the Lord. I wonder, I wonder if we would be able to say something like that this morning uh, with David, that, that apart from the Lord, we have no good thing. Um, I think we probably tend to look at our lives and think we have a lot of good things. It's not to diminish those things as blessings from the Lord, but do those things point us to the Lord? Do, do we find our joy in the Lord? Well, David's first stop on his tour of God's goodness is to point to the people of God. So in verse 3, David declares that the delight he has in the holy people in the land, that is, he delights greatly in God's people. One of the, the many good gifts that God gives to David and to all of us as his people is one another. We refer to this doctrine as the, the communion of the saints. It is one of the truths that we confess when we confess the Apostles' Creed. This doctrine is one of great joy for believers as we, we walk alongside one another through the highs and the lows of life. We have one another to help keep us accountable, to correct us when we sin, to, to point us back to the beauty of Christ and His glorious work on the cross. I've always felt a deep sense of, of love for my brothers and sisters in Christ in the church. I've always loved the church and, and the blessing it is to, to worship together with people of God. I've had the privilege of traveling many places in the world and, and interacting with believers in many different countries. And it's a delight and a joy to know that we are all united together in the same Savior to one another. And this is a work of God's Spirit within each and every one of us who have trusted in Christ for salvation. The work of the Spirit is that we would love one another 
we would love one another as he has loved us. And when we experience and when we act on a love for God's people, we give evidence to ourselves and to the world that we belong to him, that we are his. So a delight in the people of God, as David expresses it here, reflects a delight in God himself. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense in the Bible to say something of the effect of, I love Jesus, but I don't love the church. It doesn't make sense. We can't find that concept in Scripture. To love the church is to love our God. Well, as a counterpoint to verse 3, in, in verse 4, David looks to those who do not belong to the people of God, in contrast, but who, who run after other gods. Instead of partaking in the good that belongs to the Lord alone, those who run after other gods will suffer more and more. David is telling us here that, that unless we run after the only true and living God, the Lord God Almighty, the creator of all things, the God who is the first and the last, then it doesn't matter what or who we pursue, the outcome will always be the same, more and more suffering. Any effort to serve a, a false God will only produce pain and anguish. It will only lead to despair, as those who run after other gods find that their gods cannot remove their guilt, cannot remove their shame, their insecurities, their fears, their anxieties, or anything else that might afflict them. David knows this, and he has seen this in others around him, in the peoples around him. And it is this reality that, that actually serves to increase his own confidence in the Lord. David's words here give evidence of a, a profound confidence in the Lord as he rejected the pagan practices of those around him in faithful service to the one true God. As David sought to obey the, the first commandment, so must we. David renounced any kind of religious syncretism of, of pulling in other things or other re religious practices uh, to uh, pollute the true and pure worship of God. He, he refused to mix those things with the pagan practices of those who chased after other gods. Now, while the, the, the pagan elements of worship may not be as easily discernible today, the temptation is the same for us. We must forsake all other gods in order to pursue the Lord alone. And this is what David highlights in verse 5 where he says this, Lord, you alone are my portion and my cup. You make my lot secure. For David, the Lord is not augmented, is not supplemented by any other God or by anything else. The Lord is, is lacking in nothing. The Lord is, therefore, David's entire portion and cup. David has chosen the Lord over and against all other gods, while the idolaters seek to take the world as their portion, riches, success, fame, pleasure, happiness, self-sufficiency, personal autonomy, whatever it might be, David chooses the Lord. As our Lord said in Mark 8.36, For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? 
David continues his praise in verse 6 when he says, The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. In these two verses, in verses 5 and 6, David uses the words portion, cup, lot, and lines. Now, those are not words we use very regularly in our common language, but these four terms might bring to mind the, the distribution of the land to the tribes of Israel following the conquest of Canaan. But David's delight is not in the land. Notice that. David's delight is not in the land that is, that is blessed, that is a good gift, that is holy. It's not, it's not in the land. But rather, his confidence is in the Lord himself, who is the one who apportioned the land. He is the one who apportioned the land to whom he will and who provides for his people. Therefore, David's pleasant circumstances that he finds himself in are not the source of his confidence, but but rather his confidence is in the Lord who has blessed him. His delightful inheritance is not a piece of land with measurable borders. It is the Lord who is his portion. David's understanding of God's gifts then here is is rightly ordered. His his delight and worship is directed toward the giver and not to the gifts themselves. When we reflect on the blessings that we have, that we have received in our lives from God, let us always direct our praise and our thanksgiving to God from whom all blessings flow. As we turn to verses 7 and 8, David he shifts his focus a little bit from the external confidences that are all around him to his internal confidence, the things that the Lord is doing internally to give him confidence. Verses 7 and 8, David says this, I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night, my heart instructs me. I keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Here, David expresses his confidence in terms of the inward work that God is doing in his heart. And what is true for David is is true for us. It is the inward work of the Holy Spirit who regenerates us and counsels us to choose the Lord as our portion and forsake all other gods. It is the inward work of the Holy Spirit that shapes our hearts to give us truthly truthful and godly instruction. It is the inward work of the Holy Spirit that gives us the desire to keep our eyes on the Lord and to obey Him. It is the inward work of the Holy Spirit that that assures us that we are God's children, that our sins are forgiven, that we have Christ's righteousness, and that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ. It is the Holy Spirit who works all of these things in us and by them produces a steadfast confidence that we will not be shaken because we have the Lord at our right hand. As David had confidence in his life to to take the Lord as his portion, forsaking all others, so we too can have confidence that the pursuit of the Lord is no empty endeavor but it is the way of life. Our God gives us confirmation of this truth in the same ways that he confirmed it to David. 
He gives us a love for His people. He gives us earthly blessings. He gives us spiritual counsel. But most of all, He gives us Himself. As we encounter the Lord through His Word and in the person and work of Jesus Christ, He testifies to our spirits that we are His. The challenge for us this morning is to believe with David that we do indeed have no good thing apart from the Lord. Have we made the Lord our chosen portion? Have we sought to have a little bit of the Lord and a little bit of the world too? Have we ignored the Lord's counsel and sought good apart from the Lord? Do we look at our lives and believe that we truly have a delightful inheritance in the Lord? Even in the most unstable and threatening moments of our lives, when we, when we feel that we are left with no defense, no confidence, no hope, the Lord is still our portion. He is still our refuge. He is still at our right hand. He does not abandon us in life, and as we will see, He does not abandon us in death. Verse 9 serves as a sort of bridge to move us from David's confidence in life to his, his confidence in death. So I'll read that for us now. Therefore, my heart is glad, and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure. Verses 1 through 8 record David's reflection on his life and his relationship with the Lord. The, the confidence and blessing that, that David has experienced is great. And it results in the praise that's expressed here in verse 9. My heart is glad. My tongue rejoices. My body rests secure. This would actually be an appropriate enough end to the psalm. If it ended here, we wouldn't ask any questions. It wouldn't seem abrupt. It wouldn't seem inappropriate. But the psalm doesn't end here. Um, we have two more verses. And our passage is made clear that, that David is, is no mere uh, refugee. He does not flee to the Lord as, as some refugee uh, going to somewhere that, that, that doesn't really belong to him. No, he's not a refugee. He's actually an heir. He's an heir. And his inheritance is revealed in verses 10 and 11 to be more than he can actually inherit in his life. There's, there's something for him to inherit actually in his death. He speaks of death in verses 10 and 11 and shows us that his confidence is not bound to this life alone. In verse 10, David says, Because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your faithful one see decay. You make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. You will not abandon me to the realm of death. David says. In life, he is confident that the Lord's presence is at his right hand. And here, David makes it clear that his confidence does not end at his last breath. He knows that the Lord will be with him even in death. If David is writing this psalm in, in the face of death, which is very possible, he has confidence that the Lord will deliver him. But his confidence is more than that. Verse 11 actually moves in proximity from the path of life to the Lord's presence, actually to the Lord's right hand. There's a closeness, an intimacy that's growing. 
to movement toward the Lord, and at the Lord's right hand are pleasures forevermore. For David and for the Christian, death is not a wall, it is a door. It is a door into the presence of the Lord forevermore. And so we do not fear death. In Acts chapter 2, in Acts chapter 13, Peter and Paul respectively both quote Psalm chapter 16. And in the, the progressive unfolding of God's revelation, both Peter and Paul argue that David in Psalm chapter 16 was actually writing about the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus is the faithful one who did not see decay. It is Jesus' victory over sin and death and our union with him that gives us confidence both in this life and in death. In this life, we have confidence to face each day knowing that God is in control, that he is working all things together for the good of those who love him. We can deal with suffering and tragedy with the knowledge that the Lord is the one who holds our lot and is at our right hand. We can confess our sins with confidence that the Lord is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We can celebrate blessings with the recognition that we have no good thing apart from the Lord. We can serve the Lord alone, knowing that to serve other gods only multiplies our sorrows. And when we face death, we can do the same. We can do so with confidence. As Paul says in Romans chapter 8, For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Because of the resurrection of Christ, our souls will not be abandoned in death, nor will we see decay or corruption. Brothers and sisters, our hope is not for this life only. Our hope looks forward to a future resurrection in which we also will be raised. Because of Christ's resurrection, this is a sure and certain hope. It is a hope that we hold with confidence. As David was confident both in life and death, so we too can be confident. And one of the greatest ways that we express this confidence is by humbling ourselves before the Lord in a posture of prayer. In prayer, we recognize that we are weak. We are in need. And we demonstrate that we are dependent on the one who is neither weak nor needs anything from us, yet delights to hear our prayers and provide for our needs. Friends, won't you trust Christ today? Place your full trust in Jesus Christ, the only one who can give us confidence that our sins are indeed forgiven, that we are righteous in God's sight, and that we will one day dwell in the presence of God Almighty. He is worthy of our praise and worthy of our trust. What a Savior we have. So whether for the first time or whether for the thousandth time, put your trust in Christ today. Let me close with these words of confidence that we get from the Heidelberg Catechism, question and answer number one. 
The question is this, what is your only comfort in life and death? Or we could say, what is your only confidence in life and death? The answer is this, that I am not my own, but belong with body and soul, both in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from all the power of the devil. He also preserves me in such a way that without the will of my heavenly Father, not a hair can fall from my head. Indeed, all things must work together for my salvation. Therefore, by his Holy Spirit, he also assures me of eternal life and makes me heartily willing and ready from now on to live for him. Let's pray. Holy Father, we praise you for revealing yourself to us in your word. Thank you for showing us who you are. Thank you for being our God and for calling us to be your children. Father, we ask that you would give us a deeper confidence in you each day, that we would learn greater obedience and more total dependence on you. May your many blessings to us always turn our hearts to you. Give us peace and confidence as we move through life. We pray that you would give confidence and a renewed joy to your children who are nearer to their eternal home. Help us to keep you ever before us in all things. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior, with the help of the Holy Spirit. Amen.